it's good for me to be back uh, with you after being gone uh, last Sunday. Uh, we enjoyed the, uh, a trip to the mountains. I saw some uh, beautiful fall foliage. Uh, spent some time with the um, widow of uh, pastor of my home church in Earhart. And actually uh, saw beautiful, beautiful uh, color of leaves and the foliage up there in the mountains, North Carolina. We were actually about 4,700 feet up on a mountain outside of Canton, North Carolina. Uh, and as we made our way home on Sunday morning, it was actually about 35 degrees cooler than it is now, and it actually was snowing, uh, if you can believe that. And then we came down. By the time we hit Columbia, I think we were in the mid-80s. So what, quite a transformation of coming from the mountaintop down to being down in reality where we are today. Well, uh, today I want you to think about experiencing the joy of generosity. Uh, the theme for our budget for 2018 that you approved two weeks ago is the joy of generosity. Uh, and then a week or so ago, commitment cards with a letter explaining that process were mailed to members and Stuart Sunday School members. And we're asking that next Sunday, the 12th, that you come with your stewardship commitment cards completed, indicating your level of stewardship for support of that budget, for support of the ministries of this church, for support of the growth of the kingdom of God. And it's all under the concept that we're talking about of, of the joy of generosity. And today we want to talk about experiencing the joy of generosity. Now, how, how would we really put our hands around this concept of generosity and think about what, what does generosity mean for us as believers in Jesus Christ? Now, well, we're generous on a lot of different levels. But generosity basically is a response to the blessings of God in our life. See, God has blessed us so abundantly. Every one of us has been blessed. We're blessed in different ways and at different levels. But God is gracious, and he has abundantly blessed all of us in multiple ways. Now, it might not be financially to the same level that somebody else has been blessed, but we're all blessed, and we need to be generous as a result of that. Uh, being generous is not a result of being blessed with a lot of money, but being thankful for the blessings that God has brought into our life. And so this week, as you prepare your commitment card, and we also provided in the letter uh, information about a link to our website for devotions daily uh, that will help inspire and encourage and challenge you about your commitment of generosity. Uh, as you prepare this week, prayerfully, hopefully, uh, to make your stewardship commitment for the coming year, uh, and maybe even develop beyond that a, a lifetime commitment to generosity and stewardship, I want to challenge you this morning from the Word of God to consider making stewardship uh, a, a commitment of your life that will always express the gratitude in your heart to God and a spirit of generosity when you give to glorify God. Our scripture today is just a few verses out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 9. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and this is what he says to them. But just as you excel in everything, and then he lists a few things, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, then see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now those are some challenging words of Scripture as we think about this whole concept about generosity and experiencing the joy of generosity and giving with joy as we give generously. I think there are several lessons from this writing that Paul gives to the Corinthians that I think must have rang true for them as it still does for us today uh, about this challenge to be generous and, and have a generous lifestyle and enjoy it as we do. And the first one I think is obvious, and that is that Jesus is our role model when it comes to generosity. Paul says in verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now what does Paul mean when he says, for your sakes he became poor? How did Jesus become poor? I think he's talking about the entire incarnation event where where Jesus left the glories and splendor and majesty and his position in heaven and he took on human flesh. He became a human being like you and like me and we're anticipating in the next several weeks we will begin celebrating that wonderful uh, birth of Jesus Christ when he did become human and was born in Bethlehem. So I think Paul has the entire incarnation experience of Jesus Christ in mind when he talks to us about Jesus who was rich became poor for our sakes. And in Philippians chapter 2, he even goes to a greater extent to describe it. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature with God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to take advantage of but rather he made himself nothing and emptied himself. You see, that, that's where that, that becoming poor on the part of Jesus really began. See, Jesus is there. Picture him there in the glory and splendor and majesty of heaven and all of the privilege that was his as part of the Godhead was there with him. But Jesus decides to leave the comfort and glory of the heavens and come to us And I think that's the first point in which he makes himself poor. But then Paul goes on to say, by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, I think that is the Bethlehem event, the birth of Jesus Christ, where he was born to a peasant couple and born uh, perhaps in a smelly stable to a young teenage peasant girl. But he's not even completely finished there by becoming poor. Because Paul also says he was found in appearance as a man. We're reminded once again that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus became a human being with flesh and bones like you and I are. He became a man. He was a Palestinian peasant. He was a humble carpenter. Then he became a tenorate preacher. And the Scripture says all that time having no place to lay his head. But even there, that's not the end of Jesus becoming poor for our sake. But Paul says he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. You see, here is the place where Jesus ultimately reaches the place where he lays down his life to pay for our sins. And that's where he became poor so that you and I could become rich. So in what sense did Jesus become poor for us? He did it again and again and again, over and over and over. He divested himself of the glory due his name and every right and privilege that went with that. And he came to earth in human form. And he lived the life as a poor human being so that you and I could become rich. Now, Paul says in verse 9, so that we could, through his poverty, become rich. Rich in what way? What is Paul talking about? Does the death of Jesus Christ make us materially rich? Does it add to our bank account? Does it add value to our portfolio? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that we have become rich spiritually through the death and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that self-emptying of Jesus where he came to earth, divested himself of, of the glories of heaven and became a human being. And we have benefited from that in the fact that we have the opportunity through faith in Jesus Christ to experience the richness of a relationship with God the fellowship with other believers in Jesus Christ. We're part of the church, which is the body of Jesus Christ, and we experience all the glories that are due us living in relationship with God and all the, all the gifts that God brings into our life, all the wealth that God brings into our life of a spiritual nature. See how rich we become when we're in relationship with God? We experience the forgiveness of our sins. We're not judged any longer for our sins. We don't have to live in fear and judgment. But we live in a relationship with God. We live in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our life to give us peace and power and love and to provide guidance and direction and understanding in life. Oh, how rich we are because of the poorness of Jesus Christ when he divested himself of the glories of heaven. So how do we respond to the generosity of God in Jesus Christ with all the gifts that God has bestowed upon us. I think we have to respond with, the, with that sense of gratitude. We have to be grateful and we have to be thankful because of what God has done in our life. And the more that we express gratitude to God, then the more that we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And that is that we're going to follow his generous role model. You look at Jesus and you will see that he was absolutely the most generous person ever to walk the face of the earth. Not only in emptying himself and coming to earth and giving up himself uh, as our Savior, but you look at everything else that he did. He gave, was generous with his time. He was generous with his mercy. He was generous with his grace. He was generous with the forgiveness that he offered. He was generous with patience and understanding and wisdom. Oh, how generous Jesus Christ was. And he is a great role model, the best role model, the epitome of a role model of generosity that you and I can find anywhere. And that's logical because that comes right straight out of the pages of the Bible. And so Jesus is our role model for understanding this joy of generosity. And all the way through the scriptures, there is that theme of the fact that it was joy 
with joy that Jesus came and divested himself of his kingly power and lived upon the earth in humbleness and poverty so that you and I could become rich spiritually and we are the benefit benefit, benefit factors of that grace and glory of Jesus Christ in all of his humility coming into our life. You see, when we experience that, then we should respond with gratitude. And when we begin to experience the gratitude to the depth that it should be for all that God has done to us, then we become generous. We develop that generous mindset because Jesus is our role model. So then Paul moves on to say a second thing about experiencing uh, this joy of generosity. And he reminds us that our motivation for generosity is love. There's no better motivation for generosity than love. In fact, I would suggest that it's the only true motivating factor for our generosity, and that is love based on our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In verse 8, Paul says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Now, what's Paul talking about here as he's writing this letter to the Corinthian church? Well, he's wanting to challenge them about their level of generosity based upon their level of gratitude. But at the same time, he says, I'm not commanding it of you. You got to force something from somebody. It's not really a blessing to them or to you if you receive what it is you want from them. If you have to force obedience, and if you have to force a love response, and if you have to force respect, it, it's, it's really not a joyful experience, is it? And so that's why Paul says, I'm not going to command you to do this, but he says, generosity has got to come from within because you are motivated by love. It's the only true motivator for experiencing generosity and displaying generosity in your life. Now, when Paul was writing this, he was, he was collecting a relief fund for those believers in Jerusalem who were experiencing famine. They were in a poor, desperate situation, and he was going around the churches collecting money for the relief of those suffering saints. And so we ask the question then, who, is the, who are the people who are the beneficiaries of this love? It's got to be those who were so destitute. And he's talking about then the fact that if you really love these who are in need, then you will respond to meet their physical and spiritual needs. Now, the 2018 Financial Plan of Ministry, or our budget that we put together, uh, does all of that. We use money, of course, to pay uh, the staff our salaries and to keep up our property, and that's getting to be a, a greater challenge all the time as our buildings begin to age. There's always some maintenance that needs to be done on that. Of course, we have to pay the utilities, keep the lights on, and keep it fairly comfortable in winter and summer. Um, but we also spend portions of the money that you give for the glory of God to minister in this community and around the world, literally, to provide school supplies, to feed the hungry, to provide mission support in international lands. And we have to ask the question, why do we do that? And the answer comes back, it's because of love. And we also use budgeted money to minister to our church family. 
And we do that through several ways. We do that through providing Bible study material. We do that through our children's ministry, through our student ministry, through our worship ministry, through senior adult ministry, and all the ministries that we support in our budgeted plan for ministry. Why do we do that? Because of love. See, there's no greater thing that we can do than out of love to meet physical and spiritual needs of people, both in our church and in our community. And when we give generously, we do more ministry. We affect more lives. We touch more lives. We do more for missions. Now, I know a lot of people have the mindset that says, you know, I'd be glad to do it. If I had more money, I would be more generous. But every, every study that you can find does not bear that out. In fact, what Paul is writing here does point out a great spiritual truth. Paul says, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Who's Paul talking about? Well, you see, he's making a comparison between the Corinthian believers and the Macedonian believers. And and Paul was just overwhelmed with the gratitude and generosity that the Macedonian believers had in comparison to the Corinthian believers. Now you, have to, you really don't even have to read between the lines here to see that evidently the Corinthian believers were better off financially than were the Macedonian believers. But when Paul told them about the opportunity to respond with a love offering to meet the needs of those in Jerusalem who were without, they begged to have the opportunity to give. And Paul talked about giving out of their poverty. They gave an abundance. They gave Uh, even what they didn't have they gave. And so he's saying to the Corinthians, you know, it's really a little bit to your shame that you are much better off than the Macedonians. And I want you to know the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of a most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Do you catch that picture? They were going through a severe trial There was extreme poverty, and instead of resulting in being self-centered and more concerned about themselves, Paul says it welled up into rich generosity. So you look at that equation, and it doesn't say, if I had more, I would give more. But what it does say is when you mix joy with extreme poverty, what do you get? You get generosity. Paul says, I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. I love the story that comes out of the book, Let Us Now Praise Men, famous men by the author James Agee. And he recounted a personal experience from the Great Depression because he was in deep Appalachia. and And he struck up a conversation with a very impoverished elderly woman, as most people are who live in the Appalachian area. She lived in a tiny shack, dirt floors, no heat, no plumbing. And during the course of his visit with her, A.G. asked her, what would you do if somebody came along and and gave you a, a sum of money to help you out? And the older lady thought for a few moments, and then she said, I guess I would give it to somebody who was poor. See, true generosity doesn't 
require wealth. It requires love. When you pray about your stewardship commitment for 2018 and really for the rest of your life, I want to challenge you on that. Then I want you to think about the depth of your love. How much do you love God? How much do you love the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? How much do you love people who need to be ministered to? How much do you love people around the world who have yet to hear about Jesus Christ? How much do you love the people in your neighborhood, even in this community around our church, what we would call our church field? And believe it or not, there are those who have never heard the name of Jesus. How much do you love them? You see, the greatest motivating factor and only genuine motivating factor for generosity is love, is love. When you love people the way that Jesus did, then you can't help but respond with generosity. And then Paul makes the third point about this generosity concept, and that is our goal in generosity is to excel. We pointed out in verse 7 that he began this whole challenge by saying, just as you excel in everything, and he lists these things, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us, see that you excel in the grace of giving. Evidently, these believers in Corinth, they were pretty good at doing some things. Just like you and I are pretty good at doing some things. But for them, giving wasn't one of the things that they did very well. And Paul wanted to challenge them to excel in doing that. I think we're not doing as well as we could do in generosity and being obedient to what God wants us to do as we give back. I want us to be challenged by this passage of Scripture to excel in generosity. If Paul would write that same thing to this church at Spring Valley today, what what would he challenge us to excel in? Or what could he point out to us that we do excel in doing? There are a lot of things on an individual level that some of you do extremely well. You excel in it. You're good at teaching. You, you excel in business. You excel in managing your household. You excel, some of you, in sports. You, you excel in ministry through various ways in the life of the church and the community. There are a lot of us who excel in a lot of different ways, and that's a part of the strength of who we are as a church here at Spring Valley Baptist. But let me ask you the question, do, do you excel in the concept of generosity? That's what Paul challenged the believers there at Corinth with. And the same thing is challenging us today. I don't think we're anywhere near our potential financially in generosity. One of the ways I know that is because if hopefully, if, if you looked at and read the budget that we mailed to you, and only a few of you showed up for the discussion about it, 
you notice the cold, hard facts was we had to reduce the budget $100,000 from, from this current year to going into 2018 because the receipts just aren't there. Now, I know we've lost some people for a variety of reasons, but at the same time, I don't believe we're anywhere near our giving capacity with the people that we do have. So to challenge you to excel in this thing of generosity, I want to point out some ways in which you can begin to do that. Number one, begin to give something. Now, that might seem strange to say. Begin to give something, but the reality is in every church survey, there are at least 50% of the church family that does nothing, gives nothing. I don't understand how. But that's true. Now, we don't know by name and don't want to know by name. But we've looked at where the gifts come from in the life of our church by age-wise. And we're trying to promote stewardship education to say that it's not just a couple of generations in the life of our church who, who can give and who are giving, but every generation in the life of our church needs to be generous and give the way that God requires us to give. And yes, sadly to report, there are many people on our church roll, probably some who are here two or three times a month, who give nothing. So I want to challenge you, if you want to excel in generosity, begin to give something. Start somewhere. Give something and get in the pattern of giving. And it, never, it could never be easier to give than it is today. You have envelopes, offering envelopes that are mailed to your home. You get two months' supply at the time. You can bring your offering when you come to worship. You can mail it in if you're not going to be here. You can sign up for an electronic transfer from your funds that will come to us. You can give online. It's just that simple. We make it as easy for you as we can, but you have to take that first step and begin to give something. Everybody can give something. Then the second thing I would challenge you to do to excel is to give regularly. Put yourself on a schedule to give when you get paid. See, when you begin to give regularly, that's better than just impulsive or sporadic giving. And when you begin to give regularly, then that helps you take the next step, and that is to excel, begin to tithe. That tithe is the 10% that God asks for. That actually, really, he demands when you read the Scripture. And I believe that generosity for a believer in giving to the kingdom of God begins with that 10% and then goes beyond that. I think the tithe is the minimal amount that the Bible tells us to give. It's a very strong discipline. And, and God says, if you don't give that in Malachi 3, he says, you're robbing me in tithes and offerings. And you might be sitting there and saying, well, you know, if I had more, I would give more and I could tithe. It doesn't work that way. We've already pointed that out. You tithe off of what is already coming into you. And the motivating factor for that is that God says, if you trust me in this, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That's God 
speaking. Average American today, average American Christian today gives 2.5%. I don't know that we average that. But God asks for the 10%. In return, he says, if we trust him with that, he opens the floodgates of heaven and pours out blessings upon us. If you don't believe it, try it. And then the last thing I would challenge you with is be an extravagant giver. If 10% is the beginning of generosity, then try, if you're at that level, then try giving 11 or 12 or 13%, maybe even up to 15%. And, of course, then we have mission offerings that come along fairly frequently. Fortunately, we're not in a building fund. We don't have a debt that we have to pay. We're debt-free, so we don't have to pay that. We are looking at the possibility of doing some renovations in our children's area. We'll be hearing from a study committee on that. You, last year, some of you made that commitment to do $30 a month for two years. I ask you to continue to do that above the regular 10% that you will give. So be generous. Be an extravagant giver. Now, I think when you sum up everything that the Bible says to us and challenges us about money and how we handle it, there's three questions. The Bible asks you, how did you get it? And hopefully you got it by honest and, and just means. Then the Bible asks us about our money. What are you doing with it? Are you indulging in luxuries for yourself or are you investing in the kingdom of God? Are you honoring God with your finances? And then I think there's a third question that it asks us, and that is, what, are, what is it doing to you? What's your money doing to you? Is it fostering gratitude and generosity, or is it creating greed in your life? See, I want to ask you to be in prayer this week about your financial commitment, your effort to be generous through the life of this church by being a biblical steward and come to an understanding of the joy of generosity. And we'll talk a little bit more about it next week. But I want you to be in prayer about that as you make your stewardship commitment. And bring your commitment card to place on the altar table as we've done for many years. And pray God's blessings upon them. I want to challenge you to take the, take the faith risk to be generous for the glory of God. Father, we thank you that you're such a generous God and you're loving and you're gracious and you're so generous in, in offering us Jesus Christ that, that he died, he emptied himself and, and, and died for our sins so that we who were poor might become rich. Thank you for all the blessings you have given to us because of Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. And, and I pray that this coming week our church family We'll pray very seriously about our stewardship commitment and the level of our generosity as we give back to you for your glory and for the growth of your kingdom. Father, help us to be generous and experience the joy of generosity for your glory above all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.